Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. I felt like with COVID, this veil was lifted, right? Where so many people had been told their entire career, it is impossible for you to get work done remotely. It is impossible for you to get deals done without traveling. It is impossible for you to work um, with your children at home. And Mm -hmm. the list goes on forever, right? And I think everybody kind of realized a lot of that was bullshit all at once. Are you a leader seeking to challenge the status quo and create positive change in your industry? Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Our guest, Stephanie Natty Olson, the tenacious founder and CEO of We Are Rosie, believes that change occurs when you challenge the narratives. Stephanie has built a powerful brand and business from the ground up to champion project-based freelance talent. Throughout her journey, she has defied the odds, debunked stereotypes, and crafted a brand new compelling story that helped her achieve her vision. Get ready to unlock the potential of storytelling that drives meaningful transformation. Visit GoBeyondBearers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you here because I've been waiting for this conversation and for our audience to get to know the amazing leader and entrepreneur and visionary that you are. Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And I know we had to reschedule a couple of times and now we're ready to go. Let's do it. Well, um, there's a lot to uh, learn from your story and from your journey, but uh, I'm curious about the very beginnings. Uh, You know, share something uh, about little Stephanie when you were a little girl and, uh, you know, what was sort of something defining about you that showed up even back then? Mm. You know, so I'm the youngest of three children, and I'm the youngest by six and a half years. So my brother and sister are much closer in age than I am to either of them. So I had this interesting upbringing of being the youngest, but also in some ways feeling like an only child because there was Mm. such a distance between me and my siblings. I think it made me really competitive. They were so much older and they were doing, could do so much more stuff than I could do. And I think it just made me a really competitive kind of stereotypical youngest child where I was just going to grind my way and always checking to make sure things were fair and resources were distributed (laughs) appropriately. And um, and my family is generally a pretty competitive bunch. And so I think that came out in a a really early age. and, And I even started playing softball. I was on a baseball team. I was the only girl when I was five. Um, and then I started playing softball. I played for 13 years. So like I found that competitive outlet at a really young age. Uh, that's a great story. Uh, so how did that play out in terms of your journey and the through line of your story? Like you had to think about what is that one theme, um, that really defined the choices you made and all the things you accomplished? Yeah. You know, There's another component of my childhood that I think is really relevant here. When I was in first grade, 
um, I started using my uncle's address to go to school in a different school district um, because mm-hmm. the neighborhood that we lived in didn't have very good schools, but my parents couldn't afford to move into a better neighborhood with better schools. And so we kind of weaseled our way around the system as immigrant families often do, just hustling and finding a way. Um, but at that young age, I really, you know, even at six attending a school that like, I knew we couldn't afford to live in this neighborhood. I knew, you know, technically I'm not supposed to be here. I became very aware at a young age of the haves and the have nots, um, Mm. and who gets the resources and who doesn't, Mm. why is the school in my neighborhood? Not as good. And, Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of started studying people at a young age. Mm -hmm. And I think, that's probably been the through line for my entire career is that I'm really good at observing kind of um, cultural factors and even these mini cultures within a larger group of people um, and just kind of noticing the nuance of like who gets respect, Mm -hmm. who gets power, who gets listened to, who gets money. Um, And I've seen all that even in my own Mm -hmm. family. Neither of my parents went to college. We're first gen Americans, first gen college grads. And so I've just always had an eye for kind of how are resources distributed to people. Mm -hmm. And that's been um, something that's really important to me but has mm-hmm. also led me to realize like, I got to look out for myself. Right. And I think mm. my parents instilled that, like, we're going to find a way to get you the education that we want you to have. We're going to find a way to make it in America. Um, and so I think I really adopted that uh, mentality as I learned it from mm-hmm. my parents through all their hard work that you just always have to find a way. And that is mm. probably the biggest life lesson that they ever could have given me. That, that's a powerful perspective to hold of uh, and a mindset, right? Uh, that you have to find a way. Um, that coupled with your observation about how power and resources get distributed around the world, how did that shape the choices you made as you embarked on your career? What was did that you know influence you in in how you looked at the world and what career path you would follow and what industries you might choose? Um. For sure. I mean, I think it's evolved over time as I've gotten older and learned more. But I think at a very kind of basic level, what I learned uh, at a young age is that people that had money got more respect, got better schools, got, you know, um, all these resources that people that didn't have it uh, would receive. And so I set my mind out at a very young age that I was going to have money. And mm-hmm. it's weird to talk about that, especially as a woman, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. that was my focus. I, you know, my friends, cause my friends were wealthy, right? I went to a wealthy school, but I was not. So my friends mm-hmm. were like, oh, my neighbor asked me to babysit and I don't want to do it. I like, I, who wants to do that? And I was like, I do like, how much does it pay? <laughs> and so I started at a really young age, you know, figuring out how to get money, right? I had multiple jobs in high school and I, uh, I say that college is the first, uh, Thing that I bootstrapped because I paid my way through Georgia <laughs> Tech. Um, and so that was my preliminary focus was like, if I have mm-hmm. money, I have more power, I have more influence, mm-hmm. I have all these things that help you get shit done. Um, and now as it's evolved, as I've gotten older, I've realized, you know, that wealth comes in a lot of other ways too, right? It comes in proximity to power, it comes in relationships, mm-hmm. it comes in health, which is one that I've 
learned the hard way. Um, and so that has really kind of carried me through as I've, as I've gotten older. Um, but at the beginning of my career, I was definitely making decisions on where can I get the most money? Like who is mm. going to pay me the most? Who's going to give me security? Who's going to give me benefits? All those things. And I landed a job at Microsoft right out of college and it checked all the boxes. And I just, mm. on, on top of all that, I learned a ton. So I got really lucky mm-hmm. right out of college. That's fantastic. You know, one of the stats um, that has uh, that I find super fascinating is how the very first job that people choose right out of college, if they don't get the right level of right compensation, and this is particularly true for women, because Mm. often we don't ask for the best position or negotiate compensation. And we're just grateful that we got that first job, right? But when there's a disparity in that pay gap, you know, over the course of their career lifetime, that it it's a loss of a million dollars. That oh just that be, just by compounding of that. Um, so you know, it's an important lesson uh, for our audience to learn that your perspective, recognizing that this matters, and being conscientious about choosing the right one that checked all those boxes is an important first step to grind into. Yeah, it's so important. I love to hear you talk about that. I. I remember um, an instance when I worked at AOL and I kept mm-hmm. asking for more money because I was in sales. So I knew exactly how much money the company was making from yeah. my, you know, from my work. And my boss finally said, Steph, you make more money than all the sellers in New York. And I was like, I don't care. Like I'm making <laughs> you guys more money than all the sellers in New York. I don't care if I live in Atlanta. And I've always yeah. been really relentless about it. Like I want what I'm worth and what I'm due and I'll change jobs if I need to. Yeah, exactly. And and that confidence uh, really comes from self-worth, right? Of Um, knowing the value you create and that therefore you deserve a proportionate value you create. Um, But, you know, back then, did you uh, imagine that you'd be where you are today? Or did you have a sense or a dream of that? I think like it was buried in my subconscious, like Nikki, 10 years ago, if someone told me I'd be sitting here having this conversation with you, I think I was dreaming. So I think it always felt like um, I had fallen into a really great industry right out of college. I was making great money. I could take care of myself. And then I felt I felt very golden handcuffed at a very young mm-hmm. age because I was doing great, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I think it was always buried like, man, this is maybe not the most fulfilling career for me. I have aspirations Mm -hmm. to do something more. I would love to start a business, but all of that just felt too risky. Like, how could I Mm -hmm. risk all of this luck and hard work that I've put Mm -hmm. into this career so far? So I think that um, I knew I could do it deep down, but I had to get through a lot of fear to actually Mm -hmm. take the leap. And... um when you were first contemplating the idea of We Are Rosie, uh, first of all, let's start with that. Uh, tell our audience a little bit about the company and uh, you know how you uh, serve the clients. Sure. So We Are Rosie is the first of its kind flexible talent platform. We connect over 25,000 marketing freelancers to project-based work at brands like 
Microsoft and Delta and other huge global brands that need freelance or uh, project-based talent to tackle really important projects for their business. And how did this um, idea first uh, emerge? Um, how did you discover the opportunity and uh, tell us about the early sort of concept days, not when you started the company? Yeah. So it was born out of a bit of an existential crisis. So um, gosh, like six years ago now, I quit my job, which was so out of character for me, Nikki. I had not been without a job since I was 14. And I had two babies at home. And it was um, terrifying, but something inside me was stirring and saying like, now or never, which is nuts because on paper, it did not seem like I should be taking any risks with two mm-hmm. small babies at home. Um, and I started to make a list of like, what are the things that bring me joy? If I'm going to do this risky thing, what is going to sustain me? You know, what is it that mm-hmm. I want so badly that lights me up all the way that I'll be willing to take this risk? And to ask my family to take this risk with me. And I really, it sounds really nerdy, but I just like made a list of the moments that I felt the most joy in my life and that I felt the most fulfilled. And the common theme with them was that I love helping people who are overlooked, underestimated, Mm -hmm. marginalized. I've done work with the Syrian refugee population here in Atlanta, lit me all the way up. I've done work with women who, like me, went through postpartum depression and anxiety, who are kind of marginalized by our healthcare system mm-hmm. and not seen because all the focus is on the babies. I realized that like those were the moments that I was just mm-hmm. in love with life. And I realized that there were a lot of people that were being underestimated and marginalized mm-hmm. and overlooked within the marketing industry that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was through conversations with people who were saying to me, like, stuff like now that I'm 50, I know it's just a matter of time before they like, you know, move me out of the org and I'm considered, you know, no more use. Right. Or mm-hmm. I have, I want to have a baby, but I don't think I can climb the ladder if I have a baby or yeah. my parent is sick and I really need to go to Kentucky to care for them, but I can't leave New York city because I could never work from home. They won't let me do it. And so I realized all of these brilliant people and so many people that bring the diversity and the unique perspectives to the marketing industry were of course being disproportionately impacted by these like really tight guidelines about how work had to happen, like in Mm -hmm. an office, 60 hours a week, traveling all the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how can I help support this group of people? And Mm -hmm. I set out to build a better way to work and a way to allow people to be treated with dignity and respect regardless of what's happening in their life and to be connected with a really flexible career, not gigs, but like a career because they deserve Mm -hmm. it. And we have technology now. And so we can allow people to work in that way. So it was really just born out of me paying attention to what sustained me and what gave me energy. What a beautiful story. And uh, in that, it also highlights um, that innovation is, you know, the most powerful innovation is usually born out of uh, sensing pain and needs and really addressing that despite all the constraints and the lack of resources. I've spent most of my career in innovation, and this is a phenomenal example of 
you being the disruptor and the pioneer in the future of work and building a solution before it was cool and sexy and you know the uh the way of work it is today so yeah. Uh, congratulations on uh, truly inventing the future, right? Thank you. Uh, and and impacting so many lives. Um, something you shared about the underdog and you know the people that are overlooked that they are uh, you know they don't get a chance at having the things that they deserve and are capable of because we have such a narrow view of how we define the way things ought to be. Um, surely as you were kind of contemplating the solution, uh, you must have encountered pushback or resistance to a new idea um, because this was a new idea and of how you went about it. Yeah. What, uh, what helped you overcome that? But also what, uh, you know, what did you have to face in terms of the rejections and uh, the struggle during that time? Oh my gosh. I always say, Nikki, if I if I had known how hard it would be, I would have been scared off, right? Like my, <laughs> the fact that I was so naive about how hard it is to change institutional systems, like how work mm-hmm. happens, yeah. you know, was like a great um, a great service to me because if I had known, I would have been terrified. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I learned is, and I think it's basic human psychology is like people always want to relate new ideas to something that they already understand, right? Like it's how we Mm -hmm. make connections in our brain. The challenge is when you're producing something that has never existed before, it can really hinder progress for people to try to pull you back into a bucket. And I'll give you a a concrete example. So we are Rosie is not a staffing firm, right? Like we Mm -hmm. are a connection, a connection point to 25,000 freelancers. Sometimes we spin up teams of 10 people that are doing high end, really strategic consulting work that would typically mm-hmm. go to one of the big consulting firms, but we're just leveraging freelance talent to do it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're standing up an entire new in-house agency for our company, right? Like, so it can be really mm-hmm. strategic, but as soon as people hear that it's project-based talent or freelance talent, at the beginning, people were thinking, oh, freelance, like these are people that can't commit. These are people that are lazy. They don't want to work like the rest of us. These are people that can't get a job. And that was difficult, right? Like that hurt my yeah. spirit to hear those kind of misconceived notions about the freelance population. And I really had to humanize this group of people mm-hmm. in the early days. And I I did it through storytelling, which I think is so powerful when you're trying to create change. I personified the Rosies, which is what we call our our freelancers on our platform. I'd say, you know, here's so-and-so, right? Like they um, are transitioning genders and they don't want to go into an office right now. Like it doesn't feel mm-hmm. safe for them. They're not comfortable, but they are an incredible talent and a huge part of the diversity that you all say you want in your organization. But by forcing this person to come into the office, you're actually causing harm. Right. So Mm. let's think deeply about the requirements that we're putting on workers. And that started to get people to like really kind of humanize and understand why this work is so important and to change their conceptions. Um, I also think it helps people see themselves in the business because I really think like, man, there's so few people in work that can say like, oh, I never wish I could work from home or I never wish I could take a a sabbatical to do something in my personal life. 
we're all humans. We're not robots, mm-hmm. you know? And so the yeah. storytelling was a huge help in getting people to understand why the change was necessary and why this is not just a staffing firm. Like we're not a resume yeah. farm. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know, as much as it sounds uh, like a problem you overcame, I would imagine that back then it was a huge mountain to climb because yeah. uh, any new concept uh, that changes the status quo is uh, a very challenging thing to go through. Um, what helped you stay resilient um, mm. and sort of stay positive and optimistic as you're building a business uh, from the ground up? Yeah. A few things. I mean, a big one is like celebrating wins, no matter mm-hmm. how kind of like small or ridiculous they would be, you know, like yeah. I, we would have like a huge Slack party. If there were like three <laughs> of us on Slack to be clear. And I was the only full-time employee, but we got it. Our first invoice got paid. Like we did it. Yeah. We figured out yeah. everything. We just had to figure out like we didn't have any shortcuts because none of us had mm-hmm. built a business before. So even sending invoices. And I remember we started our first invoice. We gave it like a really high number because we didn't want <laughs> it to be like, here's invoice number one ever <laughs> from We Are Rosie. Um, so a little bit of fake it till you make it. But we really celebrated those victories or we'd be like, so-and-so liked our post on LinkedIn or like this client said that they wished they had thought of this. And so it built this momentum, even though we were a fully remote team and we weren't in the office together every day, but where we were just had a lot of gratitude for the little things Mm. because you're right. The inevitability of the hard things was going to come and it was really hard. It was, it was demoralizing at times and it was um, repetitive. You know, when you're Mm -hmm. building something new, I greatly underestimated how often I would have to repeat what is we are Rosie and how does it work? And I would mm-hmm. finish and someone would say, so you're an ad agency? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, we're not. <laughs> and then I would, I would say it to somebody else and they would say, so you're a staffing firm? And I'd say, no, we're something completely new. Like, what would you do if you had 25,000 freelancers at your fingertips? What projects would you tackle? And I had to iterate, like I had to really yeah. figure out the human psychology of like what would work. Um, yeah. And then what works, what resonates with procurement is not what resonates with the chief marketing officer, you know? And so I had to figure out, it was just a lot of testing and learning. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome to the world of B2B marketing and sales, right? It's a whole different beast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, One of the best pieces of advice I got around that was that, uh, you know, when you're building a business, choose to be clear, not clever. Mm -hmm. Uh, because clever, you know, taglines and all that are great for uh, getting likes. Uh, But if you want to get revenue, you got to be very clear where you stand. And it's um, it's a lesson that I've personally learned the hard way. For sure. (laughs) Uh, You know, but the iteration is what gets you there eventually. Um, Tell me the, the, the inspiration behind the name itself. Yeah. So the company is named after my youngest daughter. Um, Her name is Margot Rosie. And, you know, this was another one of those ways, like you ask, how do you stay resilient? How do you keep going? When I decided to pursue this idea of We Are Rosie, I remember thinking, this isn't going to change the world overnight. But like, Mm -hmm. my hope is that my two daughters, when they're my age, have better opportunities and access to flexible work Mm -hmm. that they never feel like they have to choose between motherhood and a career or, Mm -hmm. you know, any of the things that I faced in my life. And so... I thought like, 
I just want a reminder for why this work is so important. Like, yes, we want to change things right now, but we're also planting the seeds that mean that the next generation will get to fight a different fight and they'll totally. be further along because of the work that we're doing. Totally. Um, and, and what a great tribute, right? Uh, not just to your daughter, but to the entire next generation, because that's the uh, world we're headed towards where flexibility yeah. is uh, no longer just a nice to have. It's so key to the quality of life um, that yeah. we all desire and hope to live. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. When you think about... Um uh, to the time of, you know, within every business, there's massive ups and downs, particularly when you think about cash flow management and all of that. It's one of the biggest lessons you learn as an entrepreneur that, you know, it doesn't matter what the numbers are, it's the cash in the bank and all of that. Did you raise funds? Did you kind of, you know, manage the growth through uh, revenue? And, and what was, what were some of the hardest times that you had to encounter and learn from? Oh, um, so we're fully bootstrapped, right? Until we brought on private equity investors um, a couple years ago. And so the early days, the rapid growth, the insane kind of month over month growth and mm -hmm. doubling the size of the team was all happening while we were bootstrapped. So mm -hmm. I started the business with $10,000. So that's what my husband and I had agreed we'd put in. And we also agreed that I had about six months, right? I was the breadwinner for the family before I quit my job. Yeah. And so we said, okay, we're comfortable with like six months of no pay. So that turned into two and a half years of no pay. Um, it turned into selling our house and moving into a smaller home. And um, while I have the most supportive family, like never mm -hmm. even an ounce of a guilt trip or even an ounce of disbelief in what I was trying to accomplish, the pressure that I put on myself mm -hmm. of I'm getting deeper and deeper. Like we mm -hmm. are really putting a lot. And also my children are sacrificing and they didn't sign yeah. up for this, right? They're really small, yeah. but I'm not around much, you know, and they're yeah. at a really important age. And so that pressure was soul crushing, right? And it mm -hmm. led to health problems. It led to um, my inability to sleep. It led to panic attacks. It was wild. But mm -hmm. I will say, I'm really happy we didn't take external funding um, because it forced me to be a really smart businesswoman and to negotiate mm -hmm. and, you know, to make sure I was getting the worth for our rosies so that we could stay mm -hmm. in business and we could put more people to work. Um, yeah. And it just made us be really smart about how we were running the business. And I was really appreciative of that. Um, mm -hmm. I also knew that for me personally, like in my relationship with money, I don't like owing people money. I feel like I don't like owing people anything, honestly. Mm -hmm. And that's just a chip on my shoulder. Nikki, if you gave me three bucks to catch the subway, like I would Venmo you back. I would not forget about that $3. Yeah. So um, I knew that it would be... Like I had to get real about how I would feel mm -hmm. with investors, even if they were the most amazing yeah. investors in the world, how would I feel to owe somebody money? 
Um, and mm-hmm. how would that change how I think about my business? Could I think clearly if I'm like, oh, I really need to just get this person their money back? Um, yeah. So I had to get real about that too. And I'm uh, ultimately, it was definitely the right decision for me, but I think it's so personal for every founder. It really is. And it's one of those things that, uh, you know, there is no right or wrong answer. I think it comes down to, you know, founder personality values and even life stage. You know, sometimes yeah. you change kind of what choices you make. Uh, but the uh, the sort of uh, the glamour part of entrepreneurship, which is uh, so talked about on Twitter and everywhere else, you know, the part that doesn't get as much visibility is the sacrifices, the grind, the the burnout, the you know depression, all of the, the things tears, that you go yeah. through. Yeah, and it's suffering alone often because of uh, you know the the amount of responsibility you carry professionally and personally both. So yeah. um, you know it's uh, uh, truly an act of resilience, and it's uh, incredible what you've uh, done. So what was that like, especially during COVID? too, you know, because you started the company before that, mm-hmm. right, in 2018. Yeah. So what was that like navigating through COVID and um, it was, the impact on the business? Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, and I don't ever want to negate like the atrocity that COVID has been mm-hmm. and all the lives lost. Um, and I want to honor that for our business. It mm-hmm. put some wind behind our backs. I felt like with COVID, this veil was lifted, right? Where so many people had been told their entire career, it is impossible for you to get work done remotely. It is impossible for you to get deals done without traveling. It is impossible for you to work um, with your children at home. And Mm -hmm. the list goes on forever, right? And I think everybody kind of realized a lot of that was bullshit all at once, which was great because I was going person by person by person (laughs) and having these conversations. And I think everybody got the lesson together and it, um, it really put some wind in our sails, right? Like we were already growing like a rocket ship, but it, it changed some of those conversations from, Hey, if you're not allowing remote work, if you're not tapping into the freelance population, you're not inclusive, right? Like this is an important part of your inclusion strategy to, you know, let's talk about the possibilities now that you you can tap into anybody around the country to get your work done. So it elevated the conversation we were having with our clients and prospective clients. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I don't know that we'll ever see anything like that again in our lifetimes where we all just kind of leaped ahead in this thing that... would have taken us decades, I think. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, all of the digital transformation efforts the decade before that took so long to convince anyone. I mean, in six months of the pandemic, it changed uh, right away. So yeah. uh, sometimes the worst, uh, you know, uh, obstacles become, you know, the ones that open up so many opportunities. Yeah. Um, so as you were dealing with, you know, such rapid growth, and obviously, as a mom, you know, as a wife, you know, friend, all of those various hats that you wear, um, how, how have you managed to find, um, I don't want to say balance, but sort of, you know, a, a sense of calm navigating through all of that? <laughs> Nikki, I wish it was calm. It's like completely hysterical. I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. And I um, I get a pit in my stomach when I talk about this because I feel some shame, right? I feel like I made decisions that I'll, I might get judged for, but 
as I was building the business, like there were weeks where the only hat I was wearing was CEO, right? Where I wasn't Mm. there to put my daughters to bed, where I wasn't at the doctor's appointments, where I wasn't at my own doctor's appointments. Um, And that was just the choice that I made, you know, like Mm -hmm. I knew that I was making that choice, but I felt like we had this lightning in a bottle with We Are Rosie. We had the opportunity to change tens of thousands of lives. um, And it felt uh, time sensitive. It felt like we've got to show people that this can work now um, and we are the ones to do it. And so that was, you know, it was tough, but I've made peace with it in the sense that I I really feel like everything is seasonal, you know, mm-hmm. and to your point, like my goal is never balance. And I think it's a disservice to like even tell people that yeah. your life can or should be balanced. Like who's, I've never felt balanced with all the hats yeah. I wear, but I, I try to acknowledge that there's seasons, right? Like this yeah. season I am in currently as chair of the board of We Are Rosie means that I get to be at my kids' school. I get to walk them mm-hmm. to school. I get to pick them off the bus, you know? Um, yeah. I get to go to the doctor for myself. Like I don't yeah. get the notification that I need to do my, um, you know, annual checkup and say like, well, that can wait another year. You know, I feel all right, <laughs> yeah. even though I'm like in shambles. So yeah. I'm in the season of kind of um, rejuvenation, and mm-hmm. caring for myself and the the people around me while also focused on growing We Are Rosie, but at a different pace for me personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we can have everything we want, just not at the same time. So being okay. intentional about what you're choosing to focus on really helps to, you know, adjust and, and handle the trade-offs for everything else. Um, because one of the biggest challenges, particularly for women and moms, is the guilt, you know, the mm-hmm. guilt, the shame of like, well, I'm doing this, but I'm not doing that. But yeah. if you think of everything as a trade off uh, for a period of time, it's, it all works out. Yep. Um, you know, when, um, uh, when building the business or even, you know, approaching private equity and the shift that has come about now, for someone who wasn't an entrepreneur before, kind of moving from an executive to an entrepreneur career, uh, what was the role that um, people played in your journey in terms of peers or mentors or sponsors? And, and how did you build and leverage those relationships? Yeah, I love this question because it's it was a superpower for me while I built We Are Rosie. So Mm-hmm. having not taken any investment, I had no obligation to have a board of any kind, right? I was the sole owner of the company, um, aside from obviously like shares for employees. I um, created my own advisory board just because I felt mm-hmm. like I needed it. And mm-hmm. I I like to think that I'm acutely aware of what I'm good at and mm-hmm. what I don't enjoy doing, which is often what I'm not great at. And I thought, how do I build a board of advisors around me that have experience that I don't have, that Mm -hmm. have um, knowledge that I don't have, that have maybe built a business before, that have maybe worked as a chief marketing officer, that have maybe led an ad agency since everyone keeps saying, you know, we're, we're similar. So I, I built that board and I, it was through grit, Nikki, like my first board member who has become such a dear friend and was instrumental. And I've called her crying so many times I heard her on a podcast, Nikki, and I emailed her and I said, Hey, you don't know me, but, um, here's what I'm up to. And I would love to just 
tell you what it is and yeah. hear what you think about it. And we became friendly like that. And so it wasn't a big leap for me to ask her to be on our board. But Nikki, she's someone that I never in a million years would have thought I would have gotten a meeting with. Wow. Ever. Wow. Yeah. And that's just how it went. And then there were blessings, right? There were people who were like, Steph, you should meet my friend in New York. He bootstrapped and sold a company. And he's become this man that I'm talking about became like a brother to me. Like we still talk like almost every day because like you said earlier, there's not many people that understand. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that you can't say publicly, right? Because you don't want your team to know that you woke up crying today. Um, And so they've been huge. Like as a solo founder and someone who didn't have co-founders that were up to their eyeballs in this business with me, it, they were a lifesaver and so important. That's amazing. What was, uh, you know, it sounds like the authenticity with which you approach these relationships were really key. Uh, what, what advice would you give to someone who doesn't have a network and is kind of just starting out needs, recognizes that influential relationships can be really powerful in advancing their career, but just doesn't know where to begin. What advice would you give for them? Yeah. I think there's a couple of tips, like do your homework before you Mm -hmm. approach somebody. So I didn't, um, before I approached uh, Nancy Hill, who's the woman I'm talking about, who I heard on a podcast, I listened to other podcasts. I read mm. articles that she wrote. I went through her LinkedIn and found out everything she'd done. I looked who we had in common and I tried to understand what might be in it for Nancy to even take a meeting with me, right? And to yeah. approach it from that way. So is Nancy mm. really interested in supporting women entrepreneurs? Is she entrepreneurial? Does she mm-hmm. want paying board gigs? Does she what is is she, you know, does she want consulting clients? Like what could I possibly offer? And sometimes it's not monetary. Sometimes it's that they want to feel good. They want to pay it forward. They want to reach back and help somebody else come up. So do your homework before you reach out to somebody um, and be really thoughtful in that way. The other thing that I realized really early days about We Are Rosie is that people love giving you advice. It's not always Mm. good advice. But a lot of people are really flattered if you say, hey, I have this idea percolating, like I've been thinking about doing this, or I've started a business wherever you are. Can I just, can I just tell you about it? And maybe you can poke holes in it for me Mm -hmm. and tell me if you think I'm crazy and people will do it, you know, which is great. (laughs) Like, because these people could be your future clients. They could be people that stop you from making a big mistake or point something out that's obvious. They could be people that tell you who your competitors are like, Oh, this is interesting. But did you know, so-and-so is doing the exact same thing. I must have had 50. Will you tell me what you think about this idea conversations at the very early days of we are Rosie. And they were with everybody I had met in my career that I knew was going places and mm-hmm. relationships, to your point, are so important because some of these people I hadn't talked to in 10 years. And yeah. maybe they were a colleague of mine back in the day at Microsoft, or maybe they were yeah. um, a client. I mean, the person who um, I brought on to replace me as CEO of We Are Rosie was the president of AOL when I worked there. He was like four yeah. levels above yeah. me. But I had stayed in touch with him. And when I started We Are Rosie, I was like, oh, I don't even know if he's going to like remember me. I reached out and I said, Hey, I'm doing this thing. I've always admired you. Can I just tell you about it? And he was like, sure. Mm -hmm. 
and we stayed in touch and look now, right? Like wow. I never in a million years would have thought that he's, uh, would be my successor. Yeah. And it's also an incredible way to learn because you're learning from other people's experiences and you're going to learn faster through this network effect of collective intelligence. Um, and, and you and I are both part of the EY, you know, Women Entrepreneurs Network. And it's just been such an incredible resource to not only learn and keep growing, but also um, it changes your perspective of what you think is possible, you know, because that becomes your peer group uh, of your benchmark of uh, what is possible and what people are achieving and how you can keep growing into that. For sure. Yeah. So let's uh, dive into our lightning round questions. Um, so I'm going to ask you five questions and I'm excited to hear your responses to these. So the first okay. one, what book has greatly influenced you? Mm. When I worked at Microsoft right out of college, they made everybody read in my department, made everybody read, discover your strengths or discovering mm. your strengths. And it was like the first time I felt like I could be unapologetic and like, I am a hard charging achievement focused person. And like, yeah. maybe I'm not as high up on some of these other skills, but like, this is, can be a superpower if I focus yeah. on these, but it also taught me like, how do I bring other people along that have the yeah. complementary skills? That's awesome. What is your favorite inspiring quote? Mm, I don't know who said this, but I repeat it all the time. I'd love to know if I can figure out who to attribute it to, but it's, I had to make you uncomfortable. Otherwise you wouldn't have moved. Ooh, that is beautiful. I've never heard that before. I love hmm. it. That is really great. Um, what is a, a word or a moniker that you would use to describe yourself? Restless. <laughs> like a real entrepreneur. <laughs> Uh, what is one change, whether it's a habit or behavior that you implemented that made your life better? Mm. I moved to the country. Um, I left at the city of Atlanta during COVID, moved my family to the country, and I'm in nature every day, no matter what, taking calls, wow. walking through the woods, spending time in the woods with my children, waterfalls, the whole nine. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Well, I moved to New York City. <laughs> Nikki. Yeah. Um, New York is pretty jungle. Yeah. <laughs> what power song would you want playing as you walk out on stage? Mm, uh, Dolly Parton, 95. Ooh, I love that song. <laughs> so relevant for We Are Rosie. Yeah. Totally. Uh, well, this is so fun, uh, Stephanie. And thank you for sharing your journey and all the lessons you've learned. And most importantly, the things you've overcome that show that, uh, you know, as long as we are clear about what we want, uh, we can always find a way. Um, just like you learned as a little girl. And that's an important lesson for everyone throughout their careers. Uh, so I'll ask you one last thing. If you had any parting words of wisdom for everyone listening or watching, what would you want them to carry uh, in their hearts and in their minds? I think um, always remember that the difference between you and the people that are achieving all their dreams is that they just went for it, right? Like they believed that they could do it and that they deserved it. And don't otherize yourself. I've made that mistake mm -hmm. of thinking like, 
entrepreneurship is for people that are smarter than me, that went to a better college than me, that have more money than I have. And once I got in it and I got to meet everybody, I realized that's not true. These are all just people like me that are willing to take a chance and bet on myself, but you're not any less than or different than them. Like we all have it in us. Just why not me? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. This has been a truly great conversation and I appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your journey with our audience Uh, and good luck on everything that you build and all the impact and innovation you continue to lead. Likewise, Nikki, thank you so much for having me. This is such a full circle moment. I'm such a fan. (laughs) You've inspired me for many years. So thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.